be very honest with yourself about negative thoughts, thoughts of lack, thoughts of scarcity, thoughts of attachment that are not serving you in your business process and in your sales process and really in life. That's Dr. Karen Anderson Abril, psychologist, author, speaker, and expert on relationships. She joined Dan for a conversation about mindset similarities between sales and dating. What can a dating expert teach us about sales? Let's find out. I'm Kylie Schmitz. I'm Dan Lappin, and this is Breaking Sales, a nonconformist take on rejecting the sales status quo. Join the Lappin 180 team as we break the tried and died sales tactics and techniques that are failing you and your prospects. Karen, could you kind of share a little bit of what your expertise is, maybe a little bit about what you do, how you help your clients? I kind of came into this space through the back door. I had a more typical trajectory. I was a therapist in the inner city of Chicago working with kids in child welfare. Then I went back and got a doctorate and I was a professor for 10 years. And the the professional realm of my life was going as planned, but the personal realm was not going as planned. I had a broken engagement. I called off a wedding, did the runaway bride thing, and then was back in the dating scene in my mid-30s and started really questioning the messages that were out there for singles and for that dating relationship space. And so much of the rhetoric was, you're doing everything wrong, you're fundamentally flawed, and that's why you haven't met someone. And I thought, Or maybe people are doing the right thing by being very selective and being very careful and conscientious and intentional about their approach to meeting the person with whom they plan to spend their life. So I believe that there was room for another vantage point. And then I wrote my book, Single is the New Black, Don't Wear White Till It's Right. And that ushered me into having my own podcast called Love and Life and taking a lot of the psych stuff that I was teaching in the academic context and bringing it to the layperson, which has been a really rewarding experience for me. What I want to talk about first is this idea of expectations, Karen. I know for our listeners, they work so hard to get these appointments and sales and they go in with these expectations about maybe getting a second meeting or having the decision maker like them, or maybe even getting a chance to share their story. Can we dive into that a little bit here? You know, I'm giggling because it's so similar and it's really uncanny because I don't think most people are out there thinking of the overlap between sales and business and love. They seem very distinct and different, but there's so much expectation about someone working so hard to get that face-to-face meeting with a decision maker. And they've got these big expectations and they're putting all this energy into that 20 minute or an hour meeting. It's very similar in the dating scene. And I encourage people that I work with and in my community to just be present. Don't put all these expectations into this, well, within three minutes trying to figure out whether it's a fit or not. Or if it's going well after 20 minutes, they start planning their wedding in their mind. I mean, they're putting so much energy into it as if it's the most important critical meeting ever. And really, that puts pressure on them as a dater. And then also there's a pressure, there's an energy in the air that like you were saying, I think is very not helpful to the process. I like how you separated expectations and standards. How do you teach those that you work with to separate the two? Because I'm sure it's very similar in sales. 
So the standards are about you knowing yourself and knowing what's going to work for you. And of course, in the dating relationship realm, we're talking about, I know my core values. Couples do well partnering through life when they align on core values. So we don't have to have big fights about big ticket items because we agree about the way to do life. When you clarify for yourself, and it has to do with self-knowledge and having a good understanding of who you are and who will be a good fit for you. So when you understand that, you keep your standards real high, then you are freed up to just to not be feeling that pressure of, I got to prove to this person I'm on a date with that I'm great for them. It's not this, I got to do a little song and dance and woo them. It's you come into that space and in that connection of meeting this person with an energy of peace because you know who you are and what you're looking for and you're just gathering information. Yeah. When you talk about standards, Karen, I think about sales. One of the standards would be stop chasing, go have a conversation, determine if that prospect needs your expertise or service. My instinct as you talk is that's very similar on the dating as well. Absolutely. And I always encourage us to feel that complete sense of self. It's very much you want a relationship, but you don't need one. You know that you are complete in and of yourself. That line from Jerry Maguire was cute in the movies. It's not cute in real life. The you complete me. No one needs to be completing anyone else. And it's the same in sales, right? I'm not chasing the sale. I'm not chasing the account. And it's the same with dating. We need to approach dating from a sense of, yes, I would like a partner, but I don't need one. There's a very important distinction there. Yeah, that's a tough one because when they go into a sales call, they've worked so hard to get that appointment they do have a tendency to have this need where I need this to go well. I need this prospect to see my value. When you're coaching individuals in your community on the dating scene, is there certain coaching techniques that you use to help them pull back from that need to either gain validation during the date or chase you know, for the second date? I love that word that you used, validation. It's sad that we feel that we need to be validated from something external, but it's normal. We often grow up feeling that we are insufficient in some way, and we look for that reinforcement. And depending on our childhood wounds, for example, we may feel that we're always coming from a place of, I need you to make me feel okay about myself. So of course, with people that are in my community, I'm encouraging them to to be very honest with themselves, to take their own emotional temperature, so to speak, are they feeling that they're approaching dating from a place of, I need you to validate me. I need you and whoever I come across to validate me. Because if we're doing that, we're, that we're then turning over all the power to someone else. And our happiness is in their hands. And it could start in the first date if someone is really, oh, this person, I find them very attractive. They're very charming. I want this person in my life. I like how I feel when I'm with this person. And it's messy because it's okay to like how you feel with your life partner. That is a good sign that you will feel a, a lovely connection that has this natural flow about it. But there's a very thin line between enjoying someone's company and then feeling, I need you to make me feel okay, to validate me. So I I coach people to be very honest, to read self-help books, to listen to podcasts, of course, to do psychotherapy with someone who can help them recognize what do I need to feel full and complete within myself so that I'm bringing a, a 
an energy of I am complete and I'm just interested to see if we would make a nice partnership as opposed to I'm incomplete. Please validate me. There was a time in my life when I was dating and just getting into sales. And I know I look for validation for the person that I was dating. And I looked for validation from every prospect I sat down with. So if you were to sit with someone like me back then who looked at both perspectives or channels of his life, dating and in sales and needing validation, what would be some of the advice you'd give me? The theme of my podcast is take charge of your thoughts, take charge of your life. So I approach these sorts of situations from a point of understanding the the messaging that you have internalized, the self-talk, your inner monologue, and really sometimes just clarifying and, and articulating what you're thinking. So I would encourage you to first look at the thoughts, then look at what's beneath the thought, because every thought beneath it is a belief and a meaning that we are giving to. So something like, I really need to have a partner in my life. And then that would be the thought. And underneath that, I would encourage us to then unpack. What, what's the meaning? What does that mean? Well, because if I have someone in my life, then I'll feel better about myself. Then I'll feel that I can go to parties and have this beautiful person on my arm. And to unpack why that is so important, why you're giving so much energy to that. And when we unpack into the meaning, that's where we can make the adjustment at the meaning level. When people get divorced, for example, divorce is painful. Of course, you're going to have a very strong emotional reaction to the loss of the marriage and, and to the loss of the dream of this life that you're going to have together. But some people go in the direction of, okay, I'm divorced and now I'm moving on. And some people get real stuck. The, the thought is I'm divorced. And then there's the layer beneath that is I'm divorced, which means I'm a failure. I am now damaged goods. No one's going to want to deal with all my baggage. Or some people go, I'm divorced. That means I'm free. I have a second chance. I can get it right this time. So that meaning that they ascribe to the exact same situation changes everything. It changes their energy. It changes their emotions about it. Yes, it's painful either way, but it, there's hope and there's moving forward into a positive direction. So going back to you in the day when you were trying to get sales and also trying to get dates, I would want you to understand the meaning that you're ascribing to the situation that you're in so that we can unpack it. That's where we can dismantle challenge if necessary, and perhaps provide a new meaning to the experience. Yeah. As you were talking, I thought about that negative self-talk. You know, we all have it. It, it pops up at the most opportune or the, <laughs> uh, uh, the most inopportune times. Are there some things that you help your community with in terms of how to move off of self-talk and into a more positive talk track in the heat of the moment? Yeah, there are two approaches that I like to use, and they both come from the therapeutic realm. And one is called REBT by Albert Ellis, and it's Rational Emotive Behavior Therapy. A lot of times that negative self-talk is quite irrational. Now, it feels very real because we keep telling ourselves that. And also the brain is primed to look for negative situations because your brain is always trying to keep you alive. <laughs> so we're having to fight our brain's desire to keep us alive, really. But we have to do that because for our emotional well-being, we need to get into a positive place. So rational emotive behavior therapy is going to take that self-talk and look for the irrational elements of it. Albert Ellis started it when he was a young man and he was 
finding that he was petrified to ask women out for dates. And so he started looking at what was behind this fear and this anxiety about trying to ask a woman out for a date. And he thought, you know what's behind it is that I'm thinking that if I go up to that attractive young lady and ask her out and she says no, that then somehow that means I'm unlovable. It means that I am worth nothing because this one person took a pass on going out with me. And he started realizing how irrational it is to assume that just because one young lady doesn't want to date me that I'm unlovable. No other women will ever want to uh, love me. The catastrophizing that we do in our mind based on one example, dismissing all the other examples that show that we are in fact quite lovable and that yes, many people want to hang out with us. It's just this one particular person who doesn't. So he does this rational emotive behavior therapy where he takes that irrational thought and disputes it, what he calls a cognitive disputation. Now, another more kind of Zen approach is from ACT, Acceptance and Commitment Therapy. Dr. Stephen C. Hayes is the creator of Acceptance Commitment Therapy, and he talks about defusing from our thoughts such that we can realize that just because I have a thought, it doesn't have to be fused to me as if it is me. I can defuse, get some distance between my thoughts, which helps me go, oh, that's interesting. So instead of having the intensity of the thought of like, if this girl rejects me, I'm unlovable, period, end of story. I defuse by going, that's an interesting thought I'm having. And he talks about in your mind's eye, watching these thoughts, these negative thoughts that are they're plaguing you, looking at them visually in your mind's eye as leaves on a stream and there they are. And that's so interesting. And they're just floating downstream. So again, defusing, taking away the intensity of the fusion between your thoughts, feelings, and who you are as a person. How would dismantling or diffusing maybe help in situations where the, the salesperson's frustrated or they're procrastinating because they're like, I don't want to make the calls. Nobody wants my help. Everybody's pulled back their budgets. I don't want someone hanging up on me. Would dismantling and diffusing potentially help in those scenarios? I just see so much overlap, don't you? Because again, it's this assumption that if I don't get this one call, you know, I call this one company and I'm not able to get a hold of the decision maker, then that means I'm never going to be able to get a hold of any decision makers. And it comes from a lack of appreciation for what you offer when you are feeling very strong and very solidly and, and very truthfully, you believe in what you have to offer. I'm thinking now in the business realm then you know that you have a quality product. And it's so similar to dating. When you know that you have a quality product yourself, that you're a quality person who will be a catch and will be a great time to do life with, then if someone can't see that and can't recognize that, then that's on them. And it's really, and here's the tricky part, Dan, it's really a blessing in disguise. And I do think that's the case even in business. Because if you can't get that account, maybe you weren't meant to get that account and it wouldn't have been a very profitable, and I'm not just talking about money, but profitable in terms of rewarding for the relationships that we're going to form and for the connection between your company and the other company. But that takes faith, which is kind of dicey because sometimes it's hard to see that oftentimes these things do work out for a reason in the realm of love and in the realm of business. Let's try this for fun. Let's pretend you're a sales coach, Karen. All right. You've got all this knowledge, all this experience, and you're coaching me and I come to you and I say, you know, Karen, I, I've been procrastinating on my calls. I've, I put a goal together that I want to sell X amount this year. In order to sell X amount this year, I need to be making 50 calls a week and setting one or two new appointments a week. But I've really been 
procrastinating on my 50 calls because I haven't had any success. I got people hanging up on me. I can't get a hold of anybody. I feel like I'm throwing all this effort at it and I'm going nowhere. Not to mention the fact that I'm not sure people have budgets right now to do or spend money in the area that I help them with. If I came to you with that, how would you coach me in that scenario, Karen? I would definitely go to the thought processes again. I would have you write down in black and white so we could see these thoughts and look at them and dismantle. They're irrational and they're also coming from a place of lack. And because they're coming from a place of lack, there's no way that this process with all that energy and all that certainty that there's lack out there and that because you haven't had success so far this year that you will not have success. There's all these assumptions that are at work on a cognitive level. And I would I would absolutely get those out on paper and then start challenging them. The cognitive processes are very much like our physical bodies. If I sit down to uh, try to do 10 push-ups and I haven't done a push-up in 10 years, well, I'm not going to be able to make 10 push-ups because my muscles are weak and our cognitive processes are very similar. If I have been allowing myself to have these negative thoughts for so long, that's my new default mode. That's comfortable. That's familiar. That's where I'm going to want to be. When we are taking our thoughts in a more positive direction, we are strengthening the neural pathways that connect in that way, which makes it easier then later after some work and some intentionality, now I become stronger cognitively and my new default mode is now in a positive direction. You're bringing all of that into the meeting. When we have all this negativity swirling around in our brains, we're walking into that date and we maybe think we're presenting our A game, but we really aren't. <laughs> you think the energy isn't going to start permeating the conversation when you're coming with that energy of this has to work because nothing else has worked. People will pick up on that. You really have to be aware of what your thought process is heading into the experience. Yes. Yeah. As you were speaking, I was thinking no one taught me how to mentally prep for a date. Um, the mental prep was go get a workout in, get cleaned up, figure out a nice restaurant and go have a nice evening. There was no thought process or intentionality on, all right, let me make sure that I'm not seeking validation. Let me make sure that I'm coming from a space where I feel good about myself. I'm okay if this doesn't go right. None of that existed. Is that coming more prevalent right now in the dating scene where people are starting to mentally become more aware of where their head is prior to the date and then get more into that intentional mode as they go out on the date? I hope so. I definitely, there are folks who are trying to speak to this. We even have psychologists and sociologists and anthropologists who are looking at the academic research and making the the generalizations. What can we learn? And even doing research on love and marriage and dating to help us look to the science that because there is science behind all this. There's science behind the patterns and the tendencies between men and women. There, there's science behind how people connect to one another and what works as far as disclosing information, speaking to what we talked about a minute ago, to just gradually 
give information, you know, that term TMI, too much information can scare someone. It, it puts someone off because there's a natural flow that's a healthy disclosing of who we are, letting each other know who we are. So when we take all that research and try to apply it, I think there are many people who are trying to avail themselves of those studies. And there are some psychologists, I just interviewed one on my podcast who, she wrote a book called Love Factually. And she looks at all this, even anthropological research. So look at how do, how does love form and, and pair bonding form in all cultures worldwide? And since the dawn of time, how do we look to this so we can better understand, like you're saying, okay, I've got a date at seven. How do I use all this research and all this knowledge, these facts to help me prepare to put myself into a space that is going to be healthy, emotionally, healthy, socially, so that I can have the most positive experience possible and to up my chances of finding someone who I'm really compatible with. So Karen, can you think about an example where someone, when they would go on a date, they were looking for validation. They were really attached to an outcome. Can you kind of walk us through how you helped them and how that scenario unfolded? Yeah, I'm thinking of a woman who was very attached to having someone. And in the early days of meeting someone, she attached to him. She was definitely wanting to be his girlfriend. She wanted that label, but he was not offering that to her. So they were long distance. She continued to fly out to spend weekends with him and then fly back. And then a year into this, she's still flying out to see him. She has no true label that I am his girlfriend. She's starting to get frustrated about this. So then she asked that question, at which point he flies off the handle that he doesn't want any pressure. He doesn't want to have to label anything. He doesn't want to have to do that. Then she's furious because she feels that she's given a year of her life to someone. She feels played. She feels that she was being duped in a sense. And the hard part for me, Dan, was that she's coming to me, but I'm seeing probably what you're seeing and what listeners are hearing is that her desire to have that attachment, that was overriding her good sense. It was overriding her, her smarts. So by the time she's talking to me, there's been a precedent established that he's in charge. He can have his cake and eat it too, so to speak. And she was willing to take that because she wanted the connection so badly that she'd take a crumb of a connection really. Because it wasn't the connection she wanted, but because she was so desperate for any connection, she was willing to take whatever he would give. Did she ever figure out how to move on appropriately? So at that point, we had to do the work that we've been speaking to throughout the episode where we had to look at the meaning that she was ascribing to attachment. She was giving so much energy to attachment because why? Because she didn't feel complete in and of herself. So it kind of reminds me of what might be going on in sales where you become so desperate for that account or so de desperate for that partnership that you lose sight of anything else that's going on. You know, one of the things you mentioned earlier, and we did talk about it, but I wanted to get back to it. I'm trying to help our listeners understand the difference between expectations and standards. So can you kind of go a little bit more into how do you help your community separate expectations versus standards? So I love the idea of low expectations, high standards, low expectations early on. When you are dating the first couple dates, couple months, you're just gathering information and you're assuming, I encourage people to assume that this person is gathering information about you. There's been no commitment established. No one's had a conversation about that. I, I had some other young women I was working with and they were real frustrated because 
emotionally, they would get to the place in the relationship, maybe after two, three months, where they felt that they were exclusive. But there had been no communication about that. And so what happens is sometimes people get ahead of themselves. So that's what I mean by keeping your expectations low. You're not putting a lot of stock into anything. Now, the standards need to remain high, though, because when we have high standards, then we're very savvy when we're dating. We're going, wait a minute, I have a high standard that I want to be with someone who's polite, not just to me, but to the server at the restaurant. I want to be with someone who has values that are similar to mine, who treats people well. I want to be with someone who has similar life goals. Where, you know, a couple months in, you realize this guy calls in sick when he's not sick all the time. And then you start realizing, well, that's, that's, that's violating my standards because I want to be with a person of integrity. So when we keep those standards high and the expectations low, we're in a very savvy and aware space. Because we're not projecting all this energy and these expectations and assumptions onto it. We're just laying back and gathering information. And that's so hard to do because people get excited and they start, the emotions start going and they want to be in love. But when we're doing that, we are losing our objectivity such that we can lower our standards without even realizing it. And we start losing all our smarts and all of our savvy awareness and our objectivity. So there is a big distinction there. I wrote down standard scarcity conflict. So from what you were talking about, it's good to have a high standard, but if you come into a relationship with a scarce mindset, you're going to feel the conflict and the tug of war of maybe putting up with more than you should put up with. It's the same in sales. A lot of prospects don't put a lot of energy and effort into the conversation or answering questions, and the sales professional puts up with it because they came into the meeting with a scarce mindset. So wrapping up, Karen, we've talked about the incredible similarities between dating and relationships and sales. And we've talked about how much of it is just its mindset. So are there three nuggets of advice that you would give sales professionals based on what we've talked about today? Yeah, I love that you are so focused on mindset. We can't control a ton in our life, but we can absolutely control our mindset, which then beautifully trickles down into everything else. I would say look to the mindset strategies we've talked about today and be very clear, be very honest with yourself about negative thoughts, thoughts of lack, thoughts of scarcity, thoughts of attachment that are not serving you in your business process and in your sales process and really in life. These negative thoughts are going to permeate everything if we don't rein them in. So my first takeaway message would be to just identify them. We can't address something that we're not even aware of is going on in our minds. And that might be journaling. That might be talking to a friend who can provide a sounding board for you or therapy, of course. The second takeaway, I would encourage you to remember that what you're bringing into that room is on you and you are projecting something onto that room with with that decision maker and you are the only one who can control that. So going back to the mindset, making sure that the energy you're bringing into the room is from a place of, I am complete. I have something wonderful to offer. If they take it, great. If not, it wasn't a fit. No harm, no foul. And then three, recognize that your life is full. Your life is complete. No matter what, 
And no matter what the outcome is, whatever happens in that meeting, in that pitch, or in that presentation, if you are going into it convinced that no matter what happens, you can interpret it in a way that's positive. And that's not just the glasses half full. This is really strategies for emotional health. We always have the opportunity to interpret something in several different ways, and we choose how to interpret. Karen, is there anything you'd like to share with the listeners and how they can maybe reach out to you or be in, get in contact with you if they choose to? Yeah, that'd be great. My podcast is called Love and Life. My website is loveandlifemedia.com. I'm really active on Instagram. I'd love to connect with any of your your listeners. They can reach out to me. I'm at Dr. Karen. It's D-R-K-A-R-I-N on Instagram. If you're new to the show, our next segment is called Change the Conversation. This is where Dan and I break down a specific sales outreach message sent to us to help you not make the same mistakes. This was sent to us via email to one of my colleagues. Tom, wanted to let you know that I've closed your file. I had touched on some recent success we have had with other companies who had recently been funded. Confident we can show similar results for Lapin 180 when the time is right. Have a great day, Bob. <laughs> I'm chuckling because of Dan's reaction here that you guys can't see. <laughs> That's that takeaway, right? <laughs> can't have it. Can't have it anymore. Yeah, I mean. Closed your file. How yeah. personal is that? Didn't know I had a file, right? <laughs> yeah. We all. Close your CRM contact. I don't know whether to visualize them clicking on the X in the top right to close the file <laughs> or going over to an actual file cabinet and putting the manila folder in there with the piece of paper on that says Tom Prospect, closing that <laughs> complete file and locking it. I'm not too sure which one I visualize I more. I think Tom got dumped before he even had a first date. Yeah. Some people listening, you might say, well, that's how you attract them. No, that's how you sound silly. Yeah. Okay. When, when you're trying to dump someone who's never even engaged you as a conversation, I mean, think of the real world in dating. You go up to someone who's never been on a date with you. They don't even know you, who you are. And you look them square in the eye and say, hey, I don't want to go out anymore. They're going to look at you like you're a psychopath. <laughs> really? <laughs> okay. It's no different here. It's a silly tactic. It's a stupid maneuver. I would absolutely nix it from your repertoire. That was a good one. Thanks for listening to Breaking Sales. If you want to get engaged with us outside of this podcast, be sure to go to our website, lapin180.com. That's lappin com, And there you'll find information on upcoming workshops, different events we're doing throughout the United States, ways to engage with us on social media, as well as a form where you can suggest topics or guests for the podcast. We want to hear from you, so don't be shy. Kylie out.